The reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer day and night and day, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. Let's pray. Father, This story and these stories we've been looking at are too heavy for us. We need your spirit to remind us and freshly convince us of the reality of these stories, that we are waiting for a Savior, and that's what we need. Amen. So this is our fourth week of Advent, and uh, just to kind of recap what we've been talking about over the last four weeks is Advent is waiting. We're we're longing, we're waiting for the birth of the Messiah. Uh, we began with Zechariah in the temple. If you'll remember, all of their married life, he and Elizabeth wanted a child, but what he was praying for was the consolation of Israel. And Gabriel shows up in the temple and says, your prayer, singular, has been answered, when really there were two prayers, one for a child and one for the consolation of Israel. And so John the Baptist is prophesied, and um, they go and conceive. And then some months later... Mary is met by the same angel, Gabriel, and the announcement to her that she will carry the Messiah. And again, she in her song, the Magnificat, announces that he will be a savior. He will save his people. And then we have the shepherds we talked about last week who, um, you know, are interesting choice. These are the people 
God decided to tell the story to. Like the angels up here and they're singing and they're praising God for what's happened in Bethlehem to shepherds. And we remember that the reason this was so important to shepherds is that God is a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's also the Lamb of God. So we've been following that trajectory. And this week, we're doing something that our own culture doesn't do very well. We're going to listen to two elderly people. Like we're going to lean in and learn from two people that our world would just pass right by, Simeon and Anna. And what we're going to find this morning is that they know how to wait. They know how to long for the Messiah. I, I think we struggle with how to wait and how to long um, in our own lives. I remember uh, I was thinking through times of longing. I, I, I remember there were seasons like in my life where I would really need or want something. Uh, and one of those seasons was I wanted a set of golf clubs. Mike McGraw was actually my uh, instructor. He's like, you need to get a real set of golf clubs. I had like three irons, you know, the kind that you get at Target. And um, I was starting to play a lot more golf. And so I became like obsessed with golf clubs. These were going to save me. These were going to be my answer to life. And I'll never, I remember sitting in my, my bedroom with a pencil and a paper drawing a set of golf clubs. Like this is, gonna, this is how you're going to get what you want. You draw it. Um, that's not how you, I got it. I did get the set of golf clubs. Um, and I, I got a little better, but uh, ended up not being a golfer. And I want us to think about our longing. What I'm wanting you to do is go, how do you long? Like, do you, how do you think through the things you want? How does your heart desire things? I want you to be curious about that this morning. And the goal, as every sermon we've had in this Advent season, is to see that longing aimed at Jesus. So the title of the sermon is Longing, Learning to Long for Jesus. That's our goal. We know that we long for things, right? Unless you're the person who doesn't know what you want for Christmas, but there's something in your soul that you're crying out for. And what I hope to see us have, have happen a little bit more this morning is for that crying of the soul to be longing for Jesus. So we're going to look at Simeon and Anna in that way. We're going to, first of all, look at how they are waiting well. Um, let me just kind of recap the story. Joseph and Mary have had Jesus in Bethlehem. At some point, not long after, they come up to Jerusalem, which is not a long trip, and they come to the temple and they do exactly what Exodus tells us to do or tells them to do, consecrate to me all of the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast. In verse 12 of Exodus 13, it goes on, You shall set apart to the Lord all the first that open the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. And so they were following through with these laws of Israel, the the dramatic irony, of course, being the one child who had no need of purification would be Jesus and is Jesus. But they go and follow the law perfectly, and up comes Simeon, right? Simeon, verse 25, a man in Jerusalem, uh, he was righteous and devout. Sometimes I think, and this is a little bit of an aside, but sometimes we hear those words and we just go, ooh, like he's right, like, you know, we've kind of, the word righteous has almost become a negative word. I want you to know that what it means and what we aspire to as we grow and age is he was the kind of person you would want in your life. He was the kind of person you would seek out for advice. You would want him to ask you how you're doing. He would care for you. We know that because he's also um, aware of his need of a savior. He is uh, walking with the spirit. In fact, he communicates 
mysteriously with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit communicates to him. And so we meet Simeon, and he's devout. We also meet uh, Anna. Anna, down in verse 36, we find out, is 84 years old. She was married as a virgin, lived seven years with her husband. He passes away, and for the rest of her life, like she's been a widow, and it's hard to tell if all of those years are just in the recent years, but she goes to the temple to worship by fasting and praying night and day. So here are two people who are, who are demonstrating an ability to long and to wait well. How do you long and do you wait? Um, recently, we had a longing experience in our house. Our daughter, who I, she might be able to hear me, but she's not in here. So I asked Emily if I could tell the story. Meredith, you can hear me, I'm sorry. Uh, she ordered some Uggs, some boots uh, on eBay. We helped her out, and uh, she had her money saved, and she found the, the seller on eBay, and she ordered them, and she waited. And every day, like she would come home from school and ask if the UPS guy had come, and had they showed up yet, and, and I would come home from work later, and she'd like, guess what, Dad? They haven't come yet. And, um, you know, we had to explain, well, there's, there's like a timetable, Right? There, this is eBay, this is not Amazon Prime, and it's going to take a few weeks, but it became hard like, for us. Like, the, the expectation, the longing, the waiting, walking in the house every day. Then we finally decided, let's just kind of check eBay. Maybe like, it's gone a little long. This seems like a long time, and pretty soon uh, it turns out the date had kind of come and gone. And now we're starting, like, how long are we going to be hearing Dad, Mom, like entire disposition of the day is set by the fact that the package hasn't arrived. So Emily decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go get her a pair of Uggs somewhere at a store, and I'll just chip in the difference, and we'll cancel the other order, and we'll just take matters into our own hand. And we got her her pair of Uggs, and she loves them. And guess what happened? Package came. And guess how excited she was about that package when it came? Like it was like, ah, there it is. And, I, and it's, it's a picture of uh, our hearts. We all know what it's like to want, to long. And I'm going to press you a little bit to say, like, you want things. You, we all know this. We want things to rescue us. And we are irrational. We will say to ourselves, I know this won't meet my deepest longings, but I'm going to pretend it will. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore that reality, and I'm going to take this object this person, this job desire, whatever the thing I want, and I'm going to put all of my hopes in that. Because we're way too afraid to admit that we have deeper longings. It, to, to, to long is really to hurt, isn't it? To really want something is to risk hurt. What if it doesn't come? What if there's no hope? In Job 14, he says this, So a man lies down, and rises not again. Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake or be roused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath be past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service, I would wait till my renewal should come. Job is aware of the longing to 
have eternal life. Simeon and Anna are aware of that. I want you to see what Simeon is waiting for in verse 25, the consolation of Israel. He is, one of the reasons why I love Simeon, and I'm guessing his, he's old, is if God had told a 40-year-old, uh, hey, you will not see death until the, your, the Lord's Christ returns. A 40-year-old would think, that's nah, about 50 years. I'm fine. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Someone that's older, who doesn't have all these dreams and aspirations ahead of them, but is looking backwards on their life, is now in a right place saying, I have one hope, one goal, one need, salvation. And that's what he desired, and that's what he wanted. And I would just ask, have you connected your longings to that desire? That's, that's the challenge. It's very difficult to do, but that's the challenge. Um, I want to read... This is really risky, and I'm moving this earlier into the sermon. I'm going to read a poem to see if we can kind of connect this. It's risky because you're not supposed to read poems uh, in sermons. That's what they said in seminary. And then Doug up here, he doesn't like the way I read poems, so he'll like, no, I'm kidding. He's our poet laureate, so I'm, I'm the guy that's like, I'm going to butcher this one. When I was a, a youth leader, we went through an R.C. Sproul series where he read The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. And it was haunting. So if you, I tried to find it. I couldn't. R.C. Sproul's voice was raspy, and it just did a great job. Um, but his point in reading The Raven is even someone like Edgar Allan Poe could name that there's a deep longing for eternity in all of us. And here's, what, here's this one, maybe one and a half stanzas. Oh, by the way, The Raven, the whole thing's about a guy who's lost the love of his life, Lenore. And uh, he's in despair. And the, a raven shows up. I think he's gone crazy. That's my take. And so he's having a conversation with this raven. And he can't decide whether the raven is uh, evil or, or sent from God. So that's kind of what's going on in this man's brain. And so he's talking to the raven. He says, prophet, said I, thing of evil. Prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore. Desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore. Here's his question to the raven. Is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quote the raven, nevermore. See, he, he sees that his longing for Eleanor, for Eleanor is that her, was that her name? Did I get the name wrong? Anyway, thank you. His longing for this lost love, it reveals in his heart a longing for redemption. He needs to know there is a bomb in Gilead. And so as you think about your longings, I want you to be aware of two things. One, it's not the thing you think it is. Like, I want a car. Okay, you might write that down, but start tracing what you really are after. I really want people to like me. I want things to work. Like, well, if, you, if you distill that desire to its root, what you'll get to is this place where you want to feel alive, where you want to know you are safe, right? And when you get there, the thing itself certainly can't help you, or the person, or the longing, the desire. And so what I'm trying to get you to do is become aware of, of your longings, and then let's now look at what Simeon receives in this moment, in our passage, he receives something beautiful. 
uh, he, it says he, in verse 28, he takes up the baby and he looks him in the eyes and he blesses God. So Simeon, this old man, it's on the front of your, Rembrandt's version's on the front of our worship guide, takes up the baby Jesus. And I want you to just sit with this for a minute. Everyone in this room has held a baby, I hope. If you haven't, come on. Raise your hand if you've never held a baby. Come on, who's not held a baby? We're going to have two sometime soon. You take a little baby and you hold that baby and you feel it wiggling. By the way, there's a lot of babies in here tonight. Nobody worry if your child's crying. Like, we get it. That's beautiful. Jesus cried. Your child can cry out. It's fine. So you're holding this baby. And Simeon looks him in the eyes and says these words, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, what you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon is looking at a child that is glorious, and he recognizes that that child will be crucified for him. The baby Jesus grows up to be crucified, and Simeon knows it. He tells his mother, uh, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He's going to be opposed. He's going to do things that create consternation and people become upset. Jesus doesn't just live this happy-go-lucky life. He brings justice and he comes in and he brings truth into his environment and he's crucified. That is the baby that that Simeon is holding. And so I want you to hear that the answer to the longing is a savior, and that is good news. Um, I, I've been processing this idea of Jesus. I think Francis Schaeffer does a great job. I've been going through true spirituality again, and he really tries to talk about the physicality of Jesus. And I want you to just think for a moment, um, doubting Thomas. In John 19, he says, unless I feel his wounds myself, I don't believe he rose. And what does he do? Jesus allows him to touch the wound, to physically feel. And he says, my Lord and my God. So Jesus has grown up, has a, a full body. He hangs on a cross. He's bleeding. He dies. He goes into a grave. He resurrects. And while he's in, on earth those days, he, he comes and visits Thomas. And Thomas feels that wound. So you have baby Jesus you have resurrected Jesus, but what about the Jesus at the transfiguration? He's transfigured. And in that moment, Peter does what? He sees a real person become transfigured, and he simply says, he wants to just, this is it. Like, let's build the final, like, let's worship here forever. Let's not even worry about food or anything else. We don't need to go down the mountain. We're there. That's how he responds to the risen Jesus. And then I was thinking about Paul. Paul is on the um, road to Damascus, and it says it was noon, okay? So the sun's as bright as it's going to get that day, and a brighter light showed up. And Paul hears the voice of Jesus. And in the Bible, when, when it talks about these bright lights, I have to, be, I have to confess, I've just, that's a metaphor that's never done much. I don't go, that sounds really amazing. I would worship a bright light. There's something being said about bright lights that we just can't get. 
And part of it is because you can't imagine a brighter light than you can see. Like if I said to you, picture a blue in your mind right now, blue, got it? Picture a bluer. I've only got blue. I can't, I can't imagine a brighter light than the brightest light I've ever seen. But I'm being told by Paul that he saw a brighter light and it, and it transfixes him. And then you get to John in Revelation who's seeing the risen Jesus and he's talking about a light coming from his eyes and I'm going, I've seen too many Marvel movies. I, I don't know what to do with that. But it, it, it ignites these people to see Jesus in his glory. And so I want us to understand, we worship a Jesus who is glorified, who is real. We can't see him right now. But if you could, you would melt. And you would not go back to your petty longing, give it any credence any longer. I'm not saying the things we want are wrong. I'm saying they would become normal again. It's just a set of golf clubs. Just a car, just a job, just a relationship. Just a health issue. God's going to fix me. But we, we live, we need to live out of this reality that Jesus is risen and he's already saved you. This is what theologians call the already, and we're going to talk about the not yet in a moment. But I just want to read you a couple of things that have helped me and that helped many, many people from our confession of uh, shorter catechism. And I want you to just hear these truths as they are applied to you, right? So uh, the catechism is designed to tell you kind of how to process scripture and, and how to kind of memorize these, these truths. So the question 29, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing. We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come on you and applied Christ. How does he do it? Question 30, through effectual calling. He's called you. You've heard. You've responded. What is effectual calling? Question 31. It is the work of God's spirit where you are convinced of your sin and misery and your eyes are enlightened to the knowledge of Christ where he renews your will and he persuades and enables you to embrace, simply grab onto Jesus. What are the benefits? First, question 32. Justification, adoption, sanctification. What is justification? Question 33. Listen very carefully. It is an act of God's free grace where he pardons all of our sins. He accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Is that your story? Do you believe that? I'm not asking you if you feel it. I'm not asking you if today when you woke up, that's the first thought that crossed your mind. I'm simply saying, can you see the beauty of the fact that you need a savior and God sent him for you and it's his righteousness that's been applied to you? Question 34, what is adoption? Listen to this. An act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Is that true of you? Like, do you believe that? Do you believe you are a son and a daughter or a daughter of God? That is what this gospel message is. That is what Simeon is aware of. That is what Anna is aware of. They, they see in Jesus the fact that salvation has come, and yet he's a baby. 
So we are also in a similar situation. We know that we have all of these benefits, but we don't experience them all yet. So we have the already, the problem we struggle with is the not yet, right? We're not experiencing it right now. We are experiencing many things, and sometimes we, we wonder why that seems so far off. I want to um, take us back to verse 33 through 35 and show this very intriguing conversation between Simeon and Mary. Verse 34 says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. This child is going to grow up and die on a cross. Listen to the, listen with the parenthetical verse 35. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Simeon is saying two things. One, he's going to die on the cross, but two, you're going to be pierced as well. Now, primarily, the thought would be, well, that's the mother of Jesus, and so she will be brokenhearted, and it's true, watching her own son die on a cross. But there's more to it. It's also suggesting the very evil that pursues him to that cross is the very evil that pursues you, that makes you need him to go to the cross. And look at the end of verse 35, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Um, I was, Calvin, John Calvin says this about this verse. He says, when the light of the gospel arises and persecutions immediately spring up, there is at the same time a disclosure of the affections of the heart. Does that make sense? So when we see the effects of the fall, when we see our own evil, the evil in the world, uh, when Satan's actions are somehow made visible, or you, you're in the midst of them, or you are aware of them, how do you respond? Do you run to Jesus? Do you run to him, or do you, do you turn in on yourself? Calvin continues to say, um, these lurking places of human dissimulation are so deep that they easily remain hidden until Christ comes. But Christ, by his light, discloses these artifices, not a word we use as often, and he unmasks our hypocrisy. And so what I'm asking us to do in light of this passage is recognize that when we face difficulties, when we face health issues, brokenness, difficulties of this world, are, are you creating these substitute longings to rescue you? Like, what are you doing to medicate your pain? Because what the gospel calls us to do is to actually name the pain and say, this is hard. I'm being pierced, which will drive me to the cross. But what we do is before we feel that pain fully is we just come up with some solutions to medicate ourselves, ways to, to get across it. Oftentimes, even the way we celebrate Christmas is a perfect example of that. We just, if we can just create an environment where we don't have to feel. But that's not the world we live in. Cheer up, it's almost Christmas, and I'm taking you to the cross. How many of you have been following the story of the um, church in China? And I had it before me, and now there it is. The Early Rain Covenant Church. Have any of you been hearing about this? Uh, here's the bulletin from the 22nd of this month, so a few days ago, uh, yesterday. As of today, 16 members of Early Rain Covenant Church have been placed by authorities in criminal detention. Four have been placed in administrative detention. Five have gone missing, 
and more than 150 have been arrested and taken to police stations. 700 are being monitored. Essentially, the Chinese government has come down on this church and others with persecution, right? Um, Brother Wang Jun, while peacefully and reasonably negotiating with police, was seriously and violently attacked. His head, knees, toes received wounds in multiple places. It goes on to talk about how um, his wife and their one-year-old were detained, forcibly taken out of homes, taken, uh, there's preachers and elders and church members. People are being tortured in detention right now, right now. Merry Christmas. Like that's happening right now. What do we do? I'm glad I'm not in China. Like, what is your way of getting over that thought? You begin to be curious as to why you hear that and we don't unite with them in our hearts through prayer. And I'm guilty of it. But what I'm the most blown away by is what they do. Listen to this. Even so, brothers and sisters are still holding fast to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible to not stop meeting together. They are still bravely preaching his truth and meeting together in various forms to study the Bible and to comprehend God's word. We offer up thanksgiving to God is the way he's closing this this bulletin out. As the church is under great assault, he is reviving multitudes of his faithful children. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? The the, the agony they're facing because they're, they're not just saying, you know what, we could just go underground, we could kind of call it something different, we can make this easier on ourselves. They're simply saying, we're not going to avoid the reality of the cross in order to get away from this. And I'm afraid here in Stillwater, we all do that. We're tempted to ignore the brokenness in our lives, the longings of our heart, the, bro- the brokenness around us, or even across the world, And yet the cross is calling us with Simeon and Anna to long for the consolation of Israel. And that's what we see in this passage. Are we doing that? I want to talk about Anna for just a moment. I love her, um, this strong woman. And I love what she's doing in this passage. She's worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Right? But she sees the baby. I don't know if she ever walks up and holds Jesus. I don't know how this all came out. But what I love, in verse 38, she begins to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She goes and basically prophesies, I've seen the Savior. He has come. He has wiped away all of your tears. You can rejoice that he has finally come. Is that good news? Jesus has made you a new creation. He has created in you a new heart. He has brought his spirit to bear, and you are free. But the challenge for us then is to make that good news by going toward those places that we keep from him. Right? Going toward those broken places. So, what do you want for Christmas? Like, what do you want? That's the hardest question I get asked because we all buy, our, we buy what we need. Like, if you're an adult and you're in the middle class or more, you go on, you go on 
Amazon and you order it before anyone's ever asked you, right? Has anyone ever, no, what do you really want? Have you ever been asked that question? Like right now, you get one wish. What do you really want? Right? Is it to be known by your Father in heaven that you have eternity with him? That Jesus, who is right now interceding on your behalf, you would be with him face to face and he would be staring at your eyes, attuning to you, caring for you, and you would be worshiping him without any other need ever again. That is what you have, and one day, someday, that's what you will have fully. Is that what you want? My prayer for us as a congregation is that that would become more and more our heart's desire because we have it. Now we just need to know that's what we are longing for. Let's pray. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for using these two marvelous people, Simeon and Anna, and their stage of life that many of us would have just ignored them. That they are the ones who can point the way to how beautiful a child Jesus is. Jesus, you grew up to be our savior. You never sinned. You swept blood at the thought of your father's wrath, and yet you took it on for our sake. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you are the one that gave Simeon the information in our passage. You are the one that has brought this scripture this morning to our ears. You are the one that will serve us at the meal. I pray you would open our hearts to fully grasp or more fully grasp the beauty of the gift of our Savior. Amen.